If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. And also joining us today, not in your closet. No, unfortunately. A different location and a different country. Yeah, it's a better, it's a better room than the closet. Yes, this is true is my good friend, tattoo twin, and fellow Cultivate member, Alex from Weird Distractions. Bonjour. Comment ça va? <laughs> That's all of the French I know. <laughs> Merci <laughs> So I asked Alex to join us this week because the topic we're going to be discussing is one that she actually recommended. Requested. That was the word I was looking for. Requested. I was like, recommended? No. (laughs) Recommended, suggested, and requested. Wanted. One of those. Yep. Mm -hmm. She's like, here, do this. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So this week, we are going to be discussing Elizabeth Packard. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here we go. Name sounds so excited. Not to be confused with Hewlett Packard. Mm. She's not a printer. Gosh darn it. It sounds familiar. So I have a feeling about halfway through, I'm going to be like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, her. Right. Yeah. Is it yep, like yep, a yep, good yep. uh or like a ooh? It's a good ah. Uh. Okay, good. That's oh, good. Yeah. Thanks for the recommendation. There's no long pig, I promise. No long pig. <laughs> no long pig. <laughs> no long pig. This is a cannibalism-free episode. I live in weekly fear of long pig. <laughs> You know what? I would too at this point. <laughs> it's a recurring, it's a recurring anxiety inducing. Thing. Yeah. Every week is a trigger warning for you. Except for the month of August, because I get to pick the stories and I make sure to not include Long Pig. And then I still forget about it. So I'm still a little nervous because like, what if she changes it? Because it's her business <laughs> too. But <Yeah. laughs> so far, so good. Plot wow. twist. <laughs> right. I included twist. Long Pig because it tracks. <laughs> yeah. Like you know or what? whatever. At this point, it just makes sense. Yeah. Facts. Facts. All right. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2023 grunge article by Marina Manukin. Manukian? I'm going to go with one of those. Mm-hmm. 2022 Indiana State Library article by Jocelyn Lewis. 2022 Women's History article by Marianna Brandman. 2019 Illinois History and Lincoln Collections article. Encyclopedia.com. Find a Grave. History of American Women article, Illinois Courts article by Dr. Samuel Wheeler, the National Library of Medicine, Care, and Custody collection, mm-hmm. and Wikipedia. Yes. I fucking love Wikipedia. Donate to What them. up? Wikipedia. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Yay. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas see any gifts you send our way or if you just want to say hello we're pretty friendly speaking of friendly if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us consider joining our discord over at the cultivate network you can chat with us over at the old crimers cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the cultivate family of podcasts just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today Elizabeth Parsons Ware Packard was born on December 28, 1816, in Ware, Massachusetts. Ware is in W A R E. 
<laughs> I'm sure they never get that joke ever. No. no. Mm -mm. Yeah. That's mm -mm. an OG to this conversation and mm -hmm. this conversation only. Yep. We were the first ones. Yep. Dubbed. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All the dads out there are like giggling. Yep. Her father was a congressional minister named Samuel, and her mother was Lucy Parsons. Oh, that's a cute name. She was the eldest of three children and Ooh. the only girl. Ooh. Oh. Rough go. Mm -hmm. One source stated that she had originally been named Betsy at birth, but had changed her name to Elizabeth when she was a teenager. I couldn't find that mentioned anywhere else in my myriad of sources, but mm -hmm. on mean, the off chance it is true, there you go. I bet you it's it's similar to like how my name was set up, where mom and dad had the nickname. They want they wanted me to go by Maddie, but they couldn't figure out if it was Madison or Madeline until I was born. Mm. I wonder if they're like, mm. we want her to be Betsy, and then they couldn't decide if it was Elizabeth or, you know. Yeah, because Betsy yeah. isn't really. What do you nickname Betsy? Bet. Mm -hmm. C. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. At least with Elizabeth, you got Liz. Liz. No. Liz. Just Liz. Lizzo. Liz. <laughs> Beth. Liz Beth. Mm -hmm. You could get Betsy. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to my endocrinologist. Her, her full name is Elizabeth, but she goes by Betsy. Oh. Nice. So maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense. Like maybe they called her that when she was younger, and then when she turned into a teenager, she was like, "No, I'm going to go by She's Elizabeth like, I'm now." Elizabeth, I am not a child. Yeah, I have learned to read. Okay, I want more letters. I can see that being the case. I mm. can see. That. Nailed it. We solved it. Elizabeth was well educated and studied classics, French, mathematics, and literature at the Amherst Female Seminary. Oh, Ooh. I wonder. I wonder how extensive. The math, the mathematics and literature knowledge was for a female school at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I mean, you need to learn you, how to count when you're doing some stuff for the Lord, right? Right. True. You need to count how many servings you have when cooking for your family of eighteen. <laughs> you also need to count how many kids you're gonna have and how yeah. many, you know, bedrooms you need. I don't know how many mm -hmm. eggs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many fingers? How many fingers? How have? many fingers your children have after they come back from the factory? Yeah. <laughs> that was not where I thought that was going. <laughs> yep, ten of them still. Wow. Great. Yep. Cool. That's good. At the age of nineteen, she became a teacher in a girls' school. What? What? How? She's nineteen. How is she a teacher? Do they just let anyone? Okay. Yep. Apparently, what? she got all the education she needed. She didn't go to college because that wasn't a thing that women did. No. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you you know enough to be a teacher. Well, yeah, I wonder I wonder how how many grades that school actually was. Because if it was like up until like what, eighth, eighth, ninth grade, potentially, mm. she might have been mm. old enough between right. going to school and being a teacher. Well, also, I mean, if she can count how many fingers her kids have. She can really do a lot for others. She yeah. can really teach, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she became a teacher and in a girls' school prior to being diagnosed with a case of brain fever during the winter of 1835. Oh, Ooh, that is, sounds horrific. There is no, like, real symptom that that translates to, but the... Or like diagnosis, but the symptoms included high fever, headaches, and delirium. And since it was the 1800s, the treatment for such an illness consisted of purging via emetics and bleeding. Yep. So like bloodletting. Blood no cocaine. No, no cocaine. Co Damn it. Come on. When the treatment surprise failed to cure her illness. Yeah. What? You're no. <laughs> Pretty sure it was a bacterial infection. Yeah. The blood-brain barrier. Really? Yeah. Her father, Samuel, had her committed to the Worcester Insane Asylum in Worcester, Massachusetts, which had opened in 1833, so it had only been open for two years when she was admitted, believing that the cause was mental stress from her I job. I definitely thought you were going to say her menstruation. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was waiting for the period. It, yeah. was, it was lady with a job. Mm -hmm. It was Lady with the Job Syndrome. Lady yep. with the yeah. job bad. She should have just had a family. 
I know. Yep. It's, now she's dying. Not that it makes it any better, but her mother Lucy had a history of mental illness as well. Ah, gotcha. Oh. Yeah, quote unquote mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. She was sometimes sad. You know, after having babies. Right. Yeah. And probably because her husband might not have been the nicest person. Yep. What? But he was a politician. No, he was a minister. Even he better. A, he, he was, was a man a, of the Lord. Yeah. He was a man of the Lord and a man of his word. Yeah. I don't know why she would be stressed. No idea. Being the wife of mm-hmm. a leader. Yeah. Elizabeth spent five to six weeks in the asylum before Dr. Samuel Woodard declared that she was cured and had her released back into the care of her family. During her time at the asylum, she understandably developed a strong aversion to the medical system altogether. You don't see. What? You mean it wasn't a five-star retreat? No. Mm. She believed that the treatments that had been used in an effort to cure her had, in fact, exacerbated her symptoms and pushed back her body's ability to heal itself. Shocking. Mm. Who does this woman think she is? She's was it, just wild was it the and straps? out. Was it the was straps? It, <laughs> was it the holding her down part that made the stress worse? <laughs> was it like the waterboarding? Maybe or... the screaming? Screaming, crying, you know? like asleep? Yeah. The non-consent? Yeah. The windows open in the, in the middle of winter for fresh mm. air? The moldy bread? Mm. Yeah. It was the moldy bread. Bone bread. It's actually believed that her symptoms were caused by a combination of stress and having her corset lace too tight. Oh, yeah. So she literally couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Tight mm-hmm. lacing, as it's called, often caused faintness, restricted breathing, and poor digestion. Yeah. I mean, fair. If I'm wearing tight clothes, I'm not the nicest person. Mm-hmm. But at least you look pretty. Beauty is pain. Your waist would look snatched if you weren't wearing 12 layers of clothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) She's walking around feeling like shit, but she's like, you know what? My hips are snatched. I don't care. It doesn't matter if I can breathe. This bustle looks great. Yeah. Every day I'm bustling. (laughs) (laughs) This bustle is bussin' bussin'. (laughs) Oi. Elizabeth married a Calvinist minister named Theophilus Packer Jr. on May 21st, 1839. I'm sorry. Theo. Cala- Theophilus. Theophilus. Mm-hmm. I was, I was stuck on the type of minister. Calvinist. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that. The Calvins? Is it the Calvin Kleins? Do they wear nice clothes? Calvinism. Oh, Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm refers to the doctrines and practices derived from the works of John Calvin, who was a Protestant reformer in the 16th century, and his followers that are characteristic of the Reformed churches. So the basic beliefs are, okay, according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, the five principles of Calvinism, as formulated by the Snod of Dort, are summarized in TULIP, a popular acronym for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, limited atonement, irresistibility of grace, and final perseverance of the saints. What? <laughs> to me, it sounds like a bunch of words just put together. Yeah, mm-hmm. the limited atonement was like, you don't have to atone because you're not experiencing anything. Mm-hmm. So like, don't live life to the fullest because if you do, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're going to hell. So don't do or feel or, you know, experience anything so you don't have to atone. And then when you die eventually, it might be good. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds like you should just be a rock. Mm. Or a tulip. Mm -hmm. Mm. Or or a flower, yes. Just be a flower. Mm -hmm. Just be a flower that's pretty temporarily, (laughs) that's happy once and then dies. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And like Jesus, it rises again. Yep. <laughs> maybe. The following spring. Maybe. The following. Maybe. Only yeah. only if you follow the the Calvin. Yeah, I've I haven't heard of that sect. It's so it's a it's a different It's version. really old. It's from the sixteenth century. Yeah. But mm. it's a version from Protestants. Yes. Okay. Break it's an off. offshoot of Protestantism. Great. 
Love that. Sounds fun. To make it even better, Theophilus was 14 years older than her, mm-hmm. making him 37 and Elizabeth 23 at the time that they tied the knot. It's not as bad as Taylor Swift and John Mayer, though. This is true. I yeah. Or who is it? Demi Lovato and Wilder Valderrama. That yeah. That's, That's concerning. Yeah. yeah. And nobody ever was like, this is weird until yeah. she wrote a song about it. And then they were like, wait. <laughs> Hold on. This doesn't uh the math isn't adding up there, yeah. Dr. Phil. It's kind of gross. Yeah. 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 Their union had been arranged by her father, quote, as a practical and convenient way of providing for Elizabeth, end quote. AKA, I tried to get her out of my house by committing her, (laughs) and then she figured it out and got out, and I need her gone again. Yeah, she's not contributing to the grocery bill. Mm -mm. She's using all the hydro. She can't be a minister. No. Like her two brothers. Yeah. She's basically just a thorn in my back. So mm-hmm. I'm going to marry her off to another religious man. Yeah. Yep. You Can't know. be a future thorn back. Yep. She was at risk. She's only th- she was only three years away. Mm-hmm. The couple moved to Shelburne, Massachusetts, where he led a congregation. Mm. They had six children together over the Wait. course of 16 years. Not bad. Theophilus Jr. in 1842. Ira. It was Isaac slash Ira. It was, I saw it both ways. So Isaac Ware in 1844, Samuel in 1847, Elizabeth Ware in 1850, George Hastings in 1853, and Arthur Dwight in 1858. I don't know why the last one's getting me. Because it's got Dwight in the name. Yeah. (laughs) I really appreciate the timing of, of the children. It's like, so she was like, I'll give you one every two to three years. Yep. Yeah. This you, is the most I can do. <laughs> yep. That is, that's probably the extent of the life experiences they were able to have with Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we can be yep. happy once every two to three years. And if we get pregnant, cool. <laughs> yep. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. In September of 1854, a year after their son George was born, they decided to pack up and leave New England for the wilds of the Midwest. Ooh. Uh-oh. Spicy. Mm-hmm. After moving several times, including stints in Ohio and Iowa, they ended up finally settling in Mantino, Illinois, in Kankakee County in 1857. Mm. Interesting. So probably, probably one of the more settled parts of yes. the midwest because it's, yeah. it's still kind of close enough to the east coast yeah. i don't know illinois well enough because i've never been there but i just keep thinking it's got to be dusty i don't know why is illinois dusty well it's during not- during that time it probably wasn't dusty yet i don't think it was probably over over farmed okay. at that point but it is windy it is a windy area Mm-hmm. So that's probably what you're thinking of because like chicago's the windy city windy city yeah kind of thing tornadoes it's like a tornado alley situation oh, that was my follow-up question is if it was in tornado alley interesting mm-hmm. yep yep but essentially the entire midwest is capable of having tornadoes at any given time <laughs> that's true from like true. april to november anytime yeah, there some, might be some yeah. warm, warm weather so is it an alley or is it more of like a freeway? Probably more of a freeway. That tracks. Yeah. I think it's just an area. It just yeah. like dumps whenever it wants yeah. to. Fair enough. Although they have been married 18 years at this point, their marriage was starting to fall apart. Aww. So let's fix it with children. <laughs> That'll fix it. Let's have another baby. No, let's move and see what happens and see if yeah. changing locations will fix everything. Right. Right, because she is mentally ill. Mm. Mm. Yes, so yes. She, might, she might need more wind. Yep. More wind. Elizabeth loved living in the Midwest, enjoying a taste of freedom that she hadn't been able to enjoy while on the East Coast. Yeah, I bet. I bet she was watched a lot in Massachusetts, especially if her dad yeah. had a congregation and her husband had a congregation. Mm-hmm. I bet she was watched a lot. Yep. Yeah. 
she bucked against the Calvinist teachings of her father and husband and enjoyed activities outside her roles as a wife and mother. Oh, my God. She enjoyed life? Mm-hmm. Straight to hell. How dare she? She's actually the whole reason why Illinois has tornadoes to this day. <laughs> it's Elizabeth's she's, fault. She's the reason. Mm-hmm. Her Her happiness. Yep. She took an interest in abolitionism and women's rights. Oh, shit. It's because she knows how to count. Yeah. And began to entertain religious leanings that went against those of her husband and family. Ooh. <laughs> like, one person already died for our sins, so maybe we can, like, take a breath and enjoy the sunset. <laughs> maybe. I'll go into them. Okay. Just maybe we can live, laugh, and love a little, as opposed okay. to, you know... Not just living, just yeah. living. Just, just, just don't paint a painting with those phrases because you're not supposed to lo- know how to write. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That isn't to say she wasn't a good spouse and mother. Oh, she kept a very tidy home, grew vegetables for the family, she sewed everyone's clothes, and she also tutored her children. Oh, because you teacher. know, former teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was smart. Yeah, that caregiving mentality usually doesn't diminish if it's something you've been doing, I don't know, your whole life. Yeah. Especially as the eldest. Yeah, the older sister, too. I bet she helped raise her her brothers. Probably. More than likely, Especially if her mother was, quote-unquote, mentally you. Yep. And it wasn't so much that she was conducting good works and traveling alone that irked Theophilus. It was her ever-changing religious views that chafed the most. Elizabeth began to explore a variety of new religious views, such as those of universalism, which is the belief that all of humanity will be saved, not just those that repent their sins. Mm -hmm. Okay, honestly, that kind of checks out with the Calvinism, though. Like, you don't have to atone because it's going to be okay. Yeah, but not everybody will be saved. Yeah, but like, similar... Yeah. It's, a di- it's a different font, okay? It's italics. It's a different, okay. Yeah, okay. it's italics, Times New Roman versus bold Times New Roman. Right. Yep. Swedenborgianism, which Ooh. today is known as the New Church, and it's based on the tenets of founder Emanuel Swedenborg, who mm. believed that all who do good in the name of their faith will be accepted into heaven. Did anyone else just get a craving for Ikea's Swedish meatballs? Because I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, now. I was just going to say, yeah. how, it's, it's a little presumptive to call it the new church. Because, like, when was it new? <laughs> yeah. Hasn't it passed to the newness? I don't know. For, like, a couple hundred years. It's the new, 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 new church. Yep. It's the new, new. She even dabbled in spiritualism. <gasps> yeah. The biggest one of all. Yep. Which, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, is based on the practice of communicating with the spirits of the dead. My favorite activity. It's because of the Same. wind. She heard, yep. she heard the voices wind. in the wind. Yep. As her views continued to change and challenge those of her husband, their relationship continued to worsen. Both didn't believe in divorce with Theophilus Mm. believing the practice to be immoral, and Elizabeth fearing that if they did have one, she would lose custody of her children. Which she would. Yeah, she would. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. She'd never see him again. She'd likely be committed, because I bet her dad would have, she would have fallen back to the care of her father, and her father would have found another way to get rid of her. Yep. That's all a hundred percent legitimate. Yeah. I would have been afraid, too. Yeah, either that or they would have brought up the fact that she went to an asylum before and they're like, mm-hmm. mm, back you go, yeah. one-way ticket. You weren't yep. listening to your husband? You must be mentally ill. Mm. Not only that, but she questioned his views in front of his congregation. Ooh. Oh, snap. I love her. I would have been in the front row snapping my fingers if I knew how to snap my fingers, being like, yes, question him. Oh, my God. She even stood up in the middle of one of his sermons, stating that she intended to go across the street to worship with the Methodists, who she felt had religious views closer to her own. Okay, as somebody who grew up in the Midwest as a Methodist. Mm-hmm. I know everybody hates us. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> These words you chill. 
and we love potlucks. We love like churches for eating after. Yeah. Yep. You know, like church is yeah. just the hangout. Church is the get together. Ch- yeah. yeah. It's it's a community thing that happens to have a religious base. So her saying that, mm-hmm. she might as well have just like set the church on fire with Pretty a crock pot. Yeah. Yeah. Just with those Swedish meatballs from the other guy from the new church. Yeah. She made some little smokies from one of the other religions and mm-hmm. Swedish meatballs and it just came over. She's like, yeah. come on, George and Harold. In response to this, Theophilus started to tighten the reins in his household, controlling her activities outside the home and even going so far as accusing her of neglecting her duties as an obedient wife and stay-at-home mother. Absolutely. He has to discredit yeah. her. Yep. According to him, quote, Never before had she so persistently refused my will or wishes. She seems strangely determined to have her own way, and it must be that she is insane. End quote. Yep. It's that fresh, it's that fresh Midwest air. Well. Mm-hmm. All the ghosts in it. Fragile masculinity at its finest. I bet she was possessed by the winds. Yep. By the demons of yep. the wind. Yep. Yep. He was possessed by the winds of the Midwest. Should have stayed in Massachusetts. Even worse, he used his knowledge of her stint in the Wooster Insane Asylum against her, uh-huh. heavily implying mm-hmm. that perhaps she was losing her grasp on reality by entertaining all this nonsense. You called it. He's yep. a dick. Mm-hmm. I would have thrown pens on his eyes. Yeah. I think I think what's worse is we all predicted mm-hmm. that this is what would have happened because yep. it still happens yep. in varying degrees. Yep. At this time, Illinois law prohibited the committal of someone against their will without a public hearing. No, interesting. The exception. Oh no. Was oh. if the husband or father had permission from the asylum superintendent and one doctor who agreed with the diagnosis of insanity. Let me guess, those two people were a part of her father's congregation? No. I um, I just, I also, I know this is like years ago, but could you imagine, like, you have to go to trial, basically, and the only people that could make or break it are two people that you're going against. Mm-hmm. Well, two people that you essentially tricked into thinking yeah. you were, they were fixing you mm-hmm. because you knew you didn't need to be fixed and you needed to get out. Yeah. And people yep. that, yeah. So they mm-hmm. were probably super pissed that mm-hmm. she, like, you know, had one over on them. Hate it. In 1860, Theophilus arranged to have a man named Dr. J.W. Brown, Oops. who pretended to be a sewing machine salesman. Speak with Elizabeth to gauge if she was insane. Interesting. Uh, Did the Hippocratic Oath not exist during this time? Who knows? Do no harm. Don't be a dick. Over the course of their conversation, she admitted to him that Theophilus had accused her of being a lunatic, and she discussed her growing dislike for Calvinism. Unsurprisingly, Dr. Brown shared this information with her husband. Oh, no, we don't like him. Come on, Dr. Brown. I have to assume that the label of lunatic was probably pretty severe at the time. Mm -hmm. I bet you it was Mm -hmm. similar to see you next Tuesday or Mm -hmm. like other colorful words for women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet if your husband called you a lunatic, it was essentially the slap in the face. Yep. So Dr. Brown sharing that information with her husband led to Elizabeth being committed to the Illinois Hospital for the Insane against her will on June 18, 1860. She was forcibly removed from her home by the county sheriff before she was taken via train to Jacksonville. So basically she's put on like a 5150 and being like, hey, (laughs) hope you don't have plans for the rest of the afternoon. Yep. But instead of a 72-hour hold, it's indefinitely. Yup. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I know this was a long time ago and things have changed, kind of, sort of, but still. And she would have still had young children in the home, too. Mm-hmm. That would have been really scary. In her own words, Elizabeth recalls the day as follows. Quote, 
Early on the morning of the 18th of June, 1860, as I arose from my bed, I saw my husband approaching my door with two physicians, both members of his church and of our Bible class, and with the sheriff, fearing exposure, I hastily locked my door. My husband forced an entrance into my room through the window with an axe. Each doctor Casual. felt my pulse, and without asking a single question, both pronounced me insane. This was the only medical examination I had. This was the only trial of any kind that I was allowed to have, to prove the charge of insanity brought against me by my husband. I had no chance of self-defense whatever. My husband then informed me that the forms of law were all complied with, and he therefore requested me to dress myself for a ride to Jacksonville to enter the insane asylum as an inmate, end quote. So they think she's insane, but homeboy literally broke into her room with an axe, and they're like, yeah, that that makes sense. That's okay. And they uh, just checked her pulse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They weren't mm-hmm. like, hey, oh. are you good? Like, any hallucinations you hearing things you seeing things like no they're just like yeah her blood pressure is a little high yeah i wonder why because she's in her night clothes which mm-hmm. no man probably ever saw aside from her husband and potentially her father yeah and he's yep. there's glass everywhere that would have been a really yep. traumatic way to wake up yeah. yeah oh my gosh she was 44 at the time that she was admitted The superintendent, Dr. Andrew McFarland, liked Elizabeth at first, at least until around four months into her incarceration, when she had a 21-page brief submitted to him arguing for her release, which he denied. Oh, my gosh. I bet he didn't even read it. Too long to read. Denied. Yeah. He probably was like, "Mm, this seems like a lot of work. Denied. Right. And now I'm mad at you because you tried to make me read. It was after that he had her moved to the 8th ward for patients deemed violent and hopelessly insane. Oh my god. She did not take an axe to a window. She literally just went against her husband. No, she wrote too many words on a page. And women who write are dangerous. So Mm -hmm. True. Elizabeth spent three years at the Jacksonville State Hospital against her will protesting every chance she got against her continued confinement. In an effort to maintain her sanity, she cleaned the various rooms of the 8th ward and stuck to a regular exercise routine to keep herself healthy. Good for her. Many of the staff took a liking to Elizabeth and even gave her a set of keys that allowed her to move about the 8th ward at will. While incarcerated there, she spent a good chunk of her time writing on any scrap of paper she could find and conceal, Mm -hmm. detailing the injustices she suffered, in addition to collecting testimony from other patients who had also been committed against their will, despite the fact that they were perfectly sane. God, she's amazing in the sense of tracking all this information. Even if I'd been there for three years... I would have just succumbed to everything. My, mm-hmm. I would have just fallen weak. But she's yep. like, nope, you know what? If I get out of here, everyone's going to know. Yep. Put these bitches on blast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she never stopped fighting. Because mm-hmm. like, even before, think of like how horrible her day-to-day was living with her husband as he yeah. was like ramping up getting ready to mm-hmm. commit her. And it just never stopped. In her book, Marital Power Exemplified, or Three Years Imprisonment for Religious Belief, she wrote about her committal. Quote, I regarded the principle of religious tolerance as the vital principle on which our government was based, and I, in my ignorance, supposed this right was protected to all American citizens, even to the wives of clergymen. But alas, my own sad experience has taught me the danger of believing a lie on so vital a question. The result was I was legally kidnapped and imprisoned three years simply for uttering these opinions under these circumstances, end quote. She is my hero. Mm -hmm. And honestly, too, it's very impressive that anybody published it. Yeah. It's a big deal that somebody Mm -hmm. actually listened to her and published it. It wasn't until June of 1863 that she was finally released into the care of her oldest son, 
the one that's also named Theophilus, <laughs> who had just turned 21. What a good son. Officially, she was declared incurably insane and released to make room for patients who could be quote-unquote cured. Interesting. Way to put salt salt into that wound one final yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But it's more likely that they eventually caved to her ongoing resistance, as well as the urgings of her adult children, who fought tirelessly to get her released. Because she's not crazy, and she was a good mom, and they missed yeah. her. If you thought having her released would make things better, you'd be wrong. Of course, because her husband still breathes. When she came home, her husband locked up everything, so she couldn't eat or do anything without his express permission. Great. Her children were forbidden from speaking to her, any mail she received was intercepted, and he made plans to have her committed for life back in their home state of Massachusetts. Wow. Send you back to your dad. The one place you hated. During her absence, the house had become dirty and disorganized, and her only daughter had been put in charge of caring for the house and her siblings at the age of 11. I was just going to say, I bet she couldn't do it because she was a child. Yep. And on top of that, who's the shitty parent? It's the Theophallus Megalus Dickerbrains. Yeah. Yeah. She would Like, how many kids did she... She had, like, eight, right? Six. She had six. Yeah. Over a span of 16 years. Yep. Six kids and one 11-year-old girl trying to take care of everybody after it likely wasn't taken care of at all in the slightest before. Elizabeth herself was also locked up in the nursery, where the windows had been nailed shut so no one would be able to see her. She was kept in this prison for a month and a half until she was finally able to sneak a letter out the window to one of her neighbors and friend, Sarah Hazlitt, begging her to reach out to a man named Judge Charles Starr. Mm. Charles was a judge that served in Kankakee, Illinois, and upon receiving Elizabeth's letter, he issued a writ of habeas corpus that demanded Theophilus bring Elizabeth before him in a court of law on January 12th, 1864. Damn. Boy's gonna get served. For those unfamiliar with habeas corpus, it allows a person to report an unlawful detention or imprisonment to the court. Further, it requests that a court order be issued to the detainer to bring the imprisoned individual to court so they can determine if the person's incarceration is lawful or not. Yeah, it's a big deal. And the fact that this man was doing it to a man of the cloth, too. Mm-hmm. Man of the cloth. I love that. Yeah. Once the pair were in front of Judge Starr, Theophilus argued that he provided Elizabeth with, quote, all the liberty compatible with her welfare and safety, end quote, considering the fact that she had been deemed incurably insane by the Illinois Hospital for the Insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, sunlight's bad for people who are crazy. Says, yes, and also would. says the man that like hates her, had the axe and hates her and hates yep. everything she stands for and doesn't want her to join the potluck across the road. Yep. Lame. However, according to the letter of the law, while it had been kosher for him to have her committed against her will for no reason whatsoever, it was illegal for him to keep her prisoner in her own home. So, Good. Judge Starr called for a jury trial to take place in Kankakee, Illinois, to determine if Elizabeth was, in fact, insane. The five-day trial of Packard versus Packard started on January 13, 1864. Witnesses were called to testify for and against her mental stability. Doctors who had encountered her prior to her committal at the asylum, you know, the ones that checked her pulse, Mm-hmm. Hmm. shared that her religious leanings and inability to submit to her husband's whims were a strong case for her insanity. Mm. Mm. One such witness, Dr. J.W. Brown, who had aided her husband in having her committed, shared that she described Theophilus as wishing that, quote, the despotism of man may prevail over the wife, end quote, and while discussing religion that he, quote, had not the slightest difficulty in concluding that she was hopelessly insane, end quote. Oh my. Like, I, just because she's not all up on you about your religion 
as much anymore. Doesn't mean diddly crap, my guy. He just wants to be saved by her yep. husband. Yeah. Because I bet you he did terrible things as a doctor. Probably. And saving. Mm-hmm. She, quote, found fault that Mr. Packard would not discuss their points of difference in religion in an open, manly way, instead of going around and denouncing her as crazy to her friends and to the church. She had a great aversion to being called insane. Before I got through the conversation, she exhibited a great dislike to me, end quote. Oh my god, she called out that he wasn't man enough for a Mm -hmm. conversation? I bet that was the first, like... I mean, it gave enough of an impression that he remembered it. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet she, yeah. Oh, Mm, spicy. Mm -hmm. Love it. Her brother-in-law, Abijah Dole, who was married to Theophilus's sister, Sybil, stated that she had become disoriented when she shared that she no longer wished to live with her husband. When Elizabeth's lawyer, a man named John Orr, questioned why her sharing that information and requesting a letter to terminate her membership of Theophilus's church was an indication of her being insane, Abijah simply replied, quote, she would not leave the church unless she was insane, end quote. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder what religion the judge was in the... Yeah. I don't know. The jury. They're all Methodists. Yep, they're all Methodists. They're like, what do you got to say about our potlucks? And they're like, you don't like Swedish meatballs, so... Yeah, you're in the wrong. (laughs) Sybil also testified against Elizabeth, stating, quote, She accused Dr. Packard of depriving her of her rights of conscience, that he would not allow her to think for herself on religious questions because they differed on these topics, end quote. So wait, her own sister went against her? Her own sister-in-law. Oh, sister-in-law. Oh, well, fuck her. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. Next. Her sister-in-law was probably trying to save herself. Probably. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. The final piece of evidence that was presented on behalf of Theophilus was the certificate from the Illinois State Hospital, which was read aloud to the jury and stated that Elizabeth had been discharged due to the fact that she could not be cured. It's yeah. giving Miley Cyrus can't be tamed like that music video, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to, like, I kind of want to see more. Or the Lindsay Lohan like, why can't they let me live? Oh, rumors, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, several neighbors and friends who were not affiliated with Theophilus's congregation were called to testify by Elizabeth's lawyers, Stephen Moore and John Orr. All testified that they had never seen her exhibit any symptoms that would lead them to believe she was insane. Sarah Hazlitt described her friend's in-home prison, particularly the sealed window that was, quote, fastened with nails on the inside and two screws passing through the lower part of the upper sash and the upper part of the lower sash from the outside, end quote. What the fuck? Do you think he did that because he never replaced the glass when he broke it? Probably. Probably. Maybe. I could see that. That was in the nursery, though. This was in a different room in the house. Mm. Oh. I, I mean, if he's gonna wield an axe to one window or one yeah. piece of glass, I feel like he's an axe-wielding asshole. Yeah. A physician, Dr. Duncanson, who was also a theologian, testified after interviewing Elizabeth for three hours, during which time religion had been one of the matters they had discussed. Mm. He stated, quote, On every topic I introduced, she was perfectly familiar and discussed them with an intelligence that at once showed she was possessed of a good education and a strong and vigorous mind. I do not call people insane because they differ with me. I pronounce her a sane woman and wish we had a nation of such women, end quote. I love it. After only seven minutes of deliberation, The jury found Elizabeth to be sane on January 18th, 1864. Yeah, yeah. Following the verdict, Judge Starr ordered, quote, that Mrs. Elizabeth P.W. Packard be relieved of all restraints incompatible with her condition as a sane woman, end quote. Amazing. After her release, she returned home to discover that Theophilus had left Illinois altogether the night before her trial concluded. And move back to Massachusetts. He knew he was going to lose. Yeah, and he's a little bitch. Not only that, but he'd sold their home and furniture, taken her money, clothes, notes, and worst of all, their children. 
Wow. I was this I was just going to say, like, either he, like, dumped the children on her with nothing or he took them away. He sucks. I I hope yeah. he's I hope his skull and bones are just in pieces wherever he lays. Even though she was free and declared legally sane, Elizabeth was now a married woman that was homeless, penniless, and utterly alone. Under both Illinois and Massachusetts laws, his actions were not only legal, but Elizabeth had no legal way to recover her stolen property or gain custody of her children. Great. Wow. Well, yeah, that makes sense, too, because she was declared insane not once but twice. Yeah. So even if she had the means to fight for it, I doubt she would win. Yeah. Fuck. She ended up returning home to live with her father. No. Who demanded that... Just wait. Who demanded that her clothes be returned to her. They were. But Theophilus was strict about letting Elizabeth see her children, only allowing it on rare occasions and when he was present. Hmm. Instead of accepting defeat... Elizabeth decided to make it her mission to help married women who had limited rights, as well as those who suffered at the hands of asylums. She campaigned tirelessly for social reform across Illinois, as well as several other states, for the rights of both groups. In three states, Iowa, Maine, and her home state of Massachusetts, she helped fight for legislation that would require regular visitations of asylums to monitor their operations. Hmm. I appreciate that, but I know that that didn't do too much. Yeah, I was <laughs> just, just going to say, like, but like, it's nice that she at least called it out. In 1867, Illinois passed the Bill for the Protection of Personal Liberty, which made it a right for residents of the state to have a public hearing when accused of insanity, and additionally, quote, required that all patients then resident in the Illinois asylum had a right to testify their sanity via jury trial, end quote. So it like retroactively went into effect. So anybody who had already been committed to an asylum could then request a jury trial to see if they could be released pending a sane verdict. That's cool. That would have been revolutionary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The law became known as Mrs. Packard's personal liberty law. And I remember reading within like a few months of it being passed, like 50 trials were scheduled. Yeah. I was going to say, I bet they couldn't, I bet they couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. The floodgates opened. Mm -hmm. In Iowa, they passed Packard's law, which made it illegal for anyone working at an asylum to intercept or open a patient's mail. Mm. Privacy. We love that. So does this mean it was before the law? In general, that like it's illegal to open somebody's mail that isn't addressed to you. I don't know. I I bet you any money it probably was after the fact because I think even if you were in an in an institution, you kind of lost all your rights and freedoms. As yeah, a person? yeah. Mm-hmm. You basically were now property. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She also won reforms that passed in four states regarding how and who could be committed to an asylum. Not to mention saw a law in Illinois get passed that protected the rights of married women, allowing them to keep their property. Because when you get married, everything becomes the property of your husband. Including your As I mentioned earlier, Elizabeth wasn't just a rights activist. She was also an author. She published 10 books, such as The Exposure on Board the Atlantic and Pacific Car of the Emancipation for the Slaves of Old Columbia, or Christianity and Calvinism Compared, with an appeal to the government to emancipate the slaves of the marriage union, that's all one title, that was published in 1864, Marital Power Exemplified in Mrs. Packard's Trial, or Three Years Imprisonment for Religious Belief, which was published in 1866, her two-volume autobiography, Modern Persecution in Sane Asylums Unveiled, Volume 1, was published in 1873, and Married Women's Liabilities, Volume 2. Wow. Those were just some of them. She's busy. Mm -hmm. In addition to writing books that detailed the suffering she had endured during her time at the asylum, she also gave public lectures to drum up interest in her causes, more stringent laws for committing people, better protection for mental patients, not to mention laws that would provide married women equal rights for property, earnings, and child custody. Nice. Hmm. 
Good. She literally came out of this and was like, you know what? I know I'm not the only one out there. I'm not going to stop fighting for everyone to have the same freedoms I have. Yeah. She's, she's the the epitome of hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. In 1869, at the age of 53, she fought for and won custody of her three youngest children, Elizabeth, 19, George, 16, and Arthur, 11, after legislation was passed that allowed married women equal rights to property and custody of their children. Amazing. She was able to support herself and her children thanks to the proceeds she earned from her writings, as well as purchase a home in Chicago. Ooh, okay. That wouldn't have been cheap. Yeah. You go, girl. Elizabeth continued to lobby across the country, fighting for the rights of married women and asylum patients through the 1880s. Throughout the years, she continued to face strong opposition from physicians and psychiatrists. Yeah, Yeah, she probably wasn't their favorite cup of tea. No, No. not not this lady brain. This dumb, dumb lady brain. However, her efforts paid off. 34 bills were passed in several states including an 1875 law allowing asylum inmates male access. Woo! She also founded the Anti-Insane Asylum Society, and her influence led to the formation of the National Society for the Protection of the Insane and the Prevention of Insanity in 1880. Nice. She, she's not good at breaking things down and making them more concise. No. She's not no. good at short names for she, things. You know what? A little long-winded, but it's okay. In 1891, at the age of 75, she proposed a bill in Indiana for the protection of the postal rights of inmates of insane asylums. Her reasoning to the Indiana state legislature was that the law would provide, quote, a potent remedy for the evils of false imprisonment, unreasonably long detention, and abuse of patients, end quote. Yeah. In other words, let's stop putting people in these asylums that don't actually need to be in these asylums. And let's actually give those spots to people who need the treatment. Yep. The bill was read and officially introduced to the Senate as Bill 55 on January 14, 1891, by Senator W.C. Thompson and sent on to the Committee on Benevolent Institutions for further approval. Hmm. Elizabeth attended the hearing, but wasn't allowed to speak at all regarding it. And in a news article that was published in the January 27, 1891 edition of the Indianapolis Times, she's quoted as saying, quote, To the manliness and honor of the American legislatures, I am proud to say that thus is the first uncourteous treatment I have ever received from any legislative committee in this United States. In appealing to 43 different legislatures, I have invariably been allowed to a manly, patient hearing before they decide how they should report my bill end quote she is so ruthless and i love every inch of it yep the language in the bill was also heavily altered without her consent changing the language to stipulate that the only person an inmate could contact without any censure would be the secretary of the board of state charities it ended up dying in the water after its second reading however it did pave the way for future legislation, such as an 1895 act that required anyone accused of insanity to stand for an official inquest with proper legal representation. Nice. Elizabeth spent three years in California, living with her son, Theophilus, and his wife, Sarah. She spent the remainder of her life still married to her husband, Gross. although they lived separately until their deaths. He passed away in 1885. Good. Riddance. Elizabeth passed away at the Hanman Hospital in Chicago from intestinal paralysis following an operation and prolonged illness on July 25th, 1897, at the age of 80. She was survived by all of her children, with the exception of her son, George, who passed away in 1889 at the age of 35 from tuberculosis. Oh, that damn TB. In her obituary that ran in the Chicago newspaper, The Inter-Ocean, she was described as, quote, the reformer of insane asylum methods, end quote. She is buried at Rose Hill Cemetery in Chicago. Oh, R.I.P. I'm really glad she outlived her husband. Me too. Yeah. Fuck that guy. And that's Elizabeth Packard. She's packing heat. She was. And I love her so much. 
much. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you covered this. Yeah, thank you for bringing it to my attention. Oh, anytime. Anytime there's a strong woman lead, I just need to hear about it. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. The definition of weird is suggesting something is supernatural or uncanny, while the definition of distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Mix both of those words together, add a millennial with a mic, and you have Weird Distractions Podcast. Weird Distractions is a weekly true crime, paranormal, conspiracy theory podcast hosted by me, Alex. Each week, I tell you what I need a distraction from before diving into a topic to help me distract myself from, well, whatever is going on. My hope is that you too can get a distraction from tuning in and maybe learn something on the way. From haunted hospitals to cold cases and every bizarre online theory in between, there's a little something for every weirdo out there. If this sounds up your alley, then join me every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform or search Weird Distractions Podcast on any social media account. Need a distraction? I got you. And this week's podcast plug is Weird Distractions. What? (laughs) Why don't you tell us about your podcast, Alex? Me? Okay. Well, Weird Distractions is a weekly true crime, paranormal, conspiracy theory, folklore, mixed bag of weird things. And basically what I do is I enter the show, tell you what I need a distraction from, and then I educate myself and you all on kind of a quote-unquote weird distraction so for example it could be a missing person case it could be a haunted hot spot this week or as i'm as we're recording this i talked about the edinburgh fairy coffins Mm -hmm. which is weird and Mm -hmm. super confused well not confusing but just weird you don't know Mm -hmm. there's a lot that's unknown so yeah you can find weird distractions wherever you find yield crime new episodes every sunday at 7 a.m eastern standard time Nice. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Carrie Ann, and she wants to know, is there anyone in history you would like to interview to get to know them and find out their side of any events slash murders? Does it have to be murders? It doesn't have to be a murder. Okay. Any event. Honestly, I'm going to keep on with my theme of interviewing Banting and Best, the inventors of modern day insulin. Love that. Just be like, hey, how, why? What, who? Like, who, what, when, where, why? It's just crazy. It's just crazy to me. Like, yeah. That they were so, they figured it out. They got it done. And like those pictures that you'll see of children that they cured, essentially, like what they looked like before they had insulin and what they looked like after, like this saved them from a really horrific death. So I would love to interview them. That'd be awesome. Nice. Banting in particular. He just seemed like a really cool dude. Canadian, too, I think. Ah, eh, I think so. Yeah, Yeah. that's mine. What's yours, Alex? Well, I would have to say Harry Houdini because he's such an interesting person. And I feel if I had the opportunity to sit down, have a nice meal with him, I would just learn more that hasn't even been published in any books or any TV shows or documentaries. He's such a big influence on the paranormal world in the sense of he took the time to actually try to debunk all the people that were just in the field to make money and actually weren't doing anything but also there was a layer of him wanting to actually try and prove that there was a spiritual realm so to me that's important and i i don't know i just feel like he's a magical he was a magical dude so do you think he'd be curmudgeon at all uh you know about certain things probably yeah. He's probably crusty about a couple things, which you know what? Fair. Second, here, side question. Mm-hmm. What what age, or like what stage of Harry Houdini would you want to interact Ooh. with? Would you want to interact with the one where he was just mostly like living his life, being super famous and doing illusions? Or like late stage when he was doing like the investigations and debunking and stuff? I would have to say the late stage, even though he's probably cranky because, you know, 
the older you get, the older really you living under it. Yeah, you're you're more cranky, which like same. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just more inquisitiveness from that, which I think hearing his own theories would be really cool. I think you'd probably get a more honest conversation from him with that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. What about you, Linz? Who you want to talk to? I don't know. And you were right. Bantling is a Canadian scientist. So. Ooh, where is he from specifically? I don't know. Hold on. I'll I'll quick look that up. He he's from Alliston, New Tecumseh, Canada. I was just there yesterday. That's so <laughs> cool. That's now that's weird and spooky. Nice. Nice. Hmm. Who would I want to talk to? I mean, Elizabeth would also be a great option. Mm-hmm. If she's, you know, not busy writing books from beyond the grave. This is a more recent death, but I would want to talk to Alan Rickman. Rip. Fair. Yeah. I just liked him as a person. Yeah. I think he'd be really fun to talk to. Well, and just like the insight, too, of all of his acting excursions and shit like that. I think that'd be interesting just to hear what actually happened on set and maybe things mm-hmm. he turned down. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. Nice. All right. Love if we it. wanted to do old timey, maybe I'd talk to somebody like Sylvia Plath or something. Fair. I could see that. So what's something good you guys would like to share? I stopped taking the medication I was prescribed because <laughs> it Woo. did not work for me at all. Fair. Couldn't sleep. Had really wicked insomnia no matter what time of day I would take the medication. And that is a side effect of it. I gave it a full month and a week long try. My doctor really wanted me to try for two months, but I was like, I haven't slept more than three hours in two weeks. And Mm. like my blood sugars were just plummeting and I couldn't focus and it was really, really, really bad. So it was Mm -hmm. like, no. And the literal first day I stopped taking it, I slept eight hours. Wow. Holy. So it was the right decision. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Still got a little bit of the sad. But I think overall, I'm doing all right. I talked to her next week to kind of see if we want to try something different. But I'm starting to kind of get back to a normal baseline now. Good. Good. Hoping it'll like be out of my system in a couple more weeks officially and like be. <laughs> I'd rather be. I'd rather be sad than not sleep. Yep. This is great. We're gonna. Yeah. I'm going to try again. Back to the drawing board, but feeling feeling better. Good. Good for you for also just like acknowledging to your physician, hey, mm, I'm not going to do this for two months because it sucks. Because yeah. that's a hard conversation to have. Especially when they're like, oh, you should give them more time. It's like, well, should I? No. Because I feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. I learned pretty early on when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes that... I am my own best advocate, and if my body doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. You can tell me, tell you're blue in the face, that this is a good idea, but if my body says otherwise, I'm just going to go find healthcare somewhere else, Mm -hmm. because there was a point, too, where I had three ulcers, and I had never taken Tylenol or ibuprofen, and my gastroenterologist said there was no such thing as stress-induced ulcers. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, okay, bye forever, I guess. Because <laughs> literally every other doctor I had said, absolutely, there is such a thing as stress-induced ulcers. And that's mm-hmm. what it was. He was like, stop taking so much ibuprofen. And I was like, oh, you mean the drug I haven't taken in like five years? Sure. I'll just keep not taking it to <laughs> save oh my gosh. the ulcers that I had. So... Yeah, I am I'm big on there are such a thing as great doctors, but they're only as great as the information you're able to give them and, the, yeah, and their ability to listen and to empathize as well. Because you can be a really great doctor and be good at diagnosing, but you could be really <laughs> just trash at figuring it out. Mm-hmm. So exactly. finding the right team for you is super important. And I'm not afraid to say bye. And stop giving money to somebody to find the right person. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Awesome. What about you guys? What's one good thing? You want to go, Alex? Oh, sure. I, uh, well, I started a new job back in May, mm-hmm. and I was only given, I think, like a four-week contract, which just got extended to September 1st. So, nice. You know, that's fun. And yeah, things are going okay. I had a big mentee bee on last Friday, just about life, and I'm feeling a lot better now. So that's nice. great. So yeah, employment, bounce back from a mental breakdown, and yeah, that's about great. it on my end. What about you, Lens? To kind of continue with the I'm doing things theme. <laughs> so before the hat, I think last week I had talked about how I cleaned out Charlie and Pascal's enclosures. Mm-hmm. Yesterday mm-hmm. I went out and we had a bunch of branches and brush that we'd had to cut off of the tree in our front yard mm-hmm. during that last big snowstorm because it just destroyed the, the tree. Mm-hmm. And I spent three hours yesterday with a chainsaw, just chopping it all up so I could get it out of the yard to mow the backyard. And it felt pretty good. Yeah, like using power tools. But that'd be really cathartic. Yeah. Chopping shit down. Mm -hmm. It was very cathartic to uh, use a chainsaw. And And now you can look in your front yard and be like, yeah, I did that. That looks nice. Yeah. Yep. Well, shall we? We shall. I suppose we should. All right. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast. A great way to support the show if you can't do so financially, but you like us, would be to leave a five-star reading and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, Podcast Addict. Apparently, you can do it on Audible. And really, wherever you can leave a five-star reading and review. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And I'm Alex. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.